Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwelling places here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from a cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground, and they were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about this vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Have you ever been out walking or hiking and seen like a pile of rocks all stacked up on top of each other. That mound or pile is called a cairn, C-A-I-R-N. John, you can tell me later if I'm mispronouncing it. And they've been used for thousands of years. So many cultures use them to provide directions, to bury the dead, even to commemorate like, like important events. Today, they're usually used as trail markers or landmarks, which, which I think is just so cool. I grew up near the Appalachian Trail, and there's this local spot nearby that just has this incredible view. It feels like on a clear day, you can see forever. And of course, I don't know who started it, but there on top of the mountain, right at the peak, right by this majestic view, is a stone cairn, and anyone who visits can add a stone. It's like this way of of sharing the experience, of acknowledging that this place is beautiful and glorious, a way to mark it as a place that is somehow sacred, perhaps even a place that's holy. Throughout the Old Testament, there are many stories of people building monuments and altars to mark places as holy. It was usually in places where something amazing had happened, something extraordinary, where God had done something special and beautiful, and so people wanted to commemorate that, to celebrate it and record it for future generations. Noah built an altar after God brought them through the flood. Isaac built one after God spoke to him in a dream. Moses stacked up stones after God protected the people from attack. And and as 
They finally crossed into the promised land. The Israelites, as they walked through the riverbed, picked up stones and on the far side stacked them up as a monument to remember and commemorate and celebrate and give thanks. Every year on Transfiguration Sunday, we hear this story of Jesus going up on the mountain with just a few disciples and being transfigured, transformed, shining with divine glory as Moses and Elijah appear. And people have often wondered about Peter's response. Peter saw all the shining and the appearing and the transfiguring and tells Jesus he'd be glad to build some structures, some shelters. And there are all sorts of possible explanations for why he might have done this, but I think that it's likely that Peter, who grew up in a Jewish home, is simply embracing the tradition of his people. Something mystical and holy and powerful had just taken place, and so Peter wanted to mark the occasion, to commemorate that holy moment. During the early parts of the pandemic, I remember that everything at church felt like this mad scramble. We were trying to figure out how to take all these traditions and practices and gatherings that mean so much to us and adapt them to this new reality we were in. When we started having services outside, we led worship from the back of a tow truck that Ted donated every week. Do you remember that? Claire, I know you remember that. (laughs) And when we realized that we were going to be out there for a while, some people from our church got together and built a wooden platform where we could stand and lead worship. We had this faithful group of people who every week would carry out a sound system and an altar and microphones and a canopy and put it all on that wooden platform so that we could worship together. We baptized children out there, including my own. We confirmed young people out there. We welcomed new members out there. We stayed connected to God and to one another out there. And now it's been a while since we had to use that platform. And to that, I say, thanks be to God. I hope we never have to use it again though I think there could be some value in choosing to use it now and then. Over the past few months, a couple people have asked me if it's time to take that platform down. And each time I've said no, and our reading this morning has helped me to understand why. It's because that platform isn't just a platform. It's a cairn, a monument. It's an altar to God. Aren't you glad it's not still your tow truck, Ted, or we'd have to leave it there? (laughs) I know most of us didn't like worshiping in the parking lot. We missed the sanctuary. We missed our normal traditions and rituals. But today, Transfiguration Sunday, is a good time to ponder the incredible ways that God sustained us during the pandemic. How God kept us together as a community, provided for us, 
kept our faith and hope alive and led us in new ways. It was holy. When I think about all the love and the care that was shared between the people of this church in creative ways, all the efforts to keep supporting and serving people in faith, I feel a sense of awe and wonder. It's something I want to commemorate so future generations can know something happened here, something important that is worth remembering. When I look at that platform these days, that's what I see, a monument, an altar that testifies to God's goodness, that marks a place and time when something holy happens. Part of me hopes that we never take it down. Now, you might think this is ridiculous, that I'm making just too big a deal about this, that the Eagles losing the Super Bowl finally broke me. (laughs) It's just a wooden platform after all. It's not like there were any shining lights of glory out in that parking lot. We never spotted Moses or Elijah. At no point during the pandemic did God speak out loud to all of us at once. And you're right. But I still think we experienced something extraordinary and holy. And this story on Transfiguration Sunday challenges us. It challenges us to learn and see the holy and the divine, even when we're not on top of a mountain and there is no blinding light, because most of the time, that's not how we're going to experience God. Sometimes we will. Many of you have had mystical experiences. You've told me about them. Holy, sacred moments that defy description. Just in the last few weeks, I've heard more stories. Being out of your body as someone prayed over you. Having dreams that are clearly full of divine meaning. Experiencing healing that cannot be explained. Times when you had an overwhelming sense of peace and comfort. Or the clear and blessed certainty that God was speaking to you, leading you guiding you. Us Lutherans, we tend to be heady people. And perhaps that's why we shy away from talking about things like this. Because mystical and holy experiences are often emotional and require language about feelings. And our tradition has often looked down on such things, dismissed them, and not developed a language with which to speak about them. These kind of experiences are precious and something to treasure and hold near to us. Because most of our lives won't be like that. The vast majority of life is not lived on spiritual mountaintops. Most of our life will be lived on spiritual plains, flat places that feel boring, full of daily routines and everyday mundane tasks, and some of our life, hopefully not much, 
But some of our life will be lived in valleys, far away from any mountaintop. One of my favorite theologians, a woman named Debbie Thomas, wrote this. She said, for as long as I can remember, I've measured the depth and success of my faith by the number of mountaintop experiences I can truthfully claim, which means I've spent most of my life feeling like a spiritual failure. When we don't experience those high mystical moments, we feel empty, unloved, like we're missing out or angry or bored. Meanwhile, we don't experience the ever-present God in whom we actually live and move and have our being. Desperate for those mountaintops, we miss the God of the valley, the God of the conference room, the God at school, the grocery store, the God of the street corner. Most of life is unspectacular, by which I mean most of life won't dazzle us with nonstop special effects, but all of life, all of life contains the sacred. The challenge is to cultivate the kind of sight that perceives God in places darker, murkier, and more obscure than a mountaintop. That's our challenge, guys. It's our call as people of faith to see the mystical amidst the mundane, the holy that surrounds the ordinary, the sacred that dwells within the common everyday moments and parts of our lives, to build monuments and altars, not just up on the mountains, but on the level and low places as well. Because God is there too. After this episode, Jesus will go back down the mountain. Soon he's going to ask a child to come on over and stand in the midst of many people. And in a culture where children were not valued, Jesus will tell people that children are precious and beloved, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. No one will think to build an altar there. But even though there were no bright, shining lights, that ordinary moment changed the world. Soon after, Jesus is going to tell a parable about sheep, proclaiming that God seeks out the lost to bring us home. No one will pile up stones to mark the moment. And even though Moses and Elijah were not there, that moment was so holy because those words revealed the very heart and nature of God in a way that changed everything. In fact, the rest of Jesus' ministry will be full of mostly ordinary, mundane moments that were also incredibly holy. Why? Because they revealed and shared the grace and love of God, because they brought joy and peace and healing and hope because they created community and lifted people up. And today, my hope is that we recognize that those kind of moments are holy, that those are the mystical, everyday experiences worth celebrating 
and commemorating in our lives. Today, we ask God to open our eyes and our hearts to experience and see Jesus in the rhythms and routines of the everyday, in the loving touch of a friend and a human voice that says, do not be afraid, in the unspectacular business of discipleship, prayer, and service, and in the unending challenge to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because the truth is that God is there in those moments too, in ways every bit as powerful and important as glorious lights shining on a mountaintop. So may we keep building altars and worship platforms and monuments to commemorate those holy moments. Amen.